0: Welcome to RPG RPGnomics, an exploration of the business behind the games we love. My name's Terry Robinson, and I'll be your host today for an interview with Patrick McNamara on the economics of getting a actual play up and running. Patrick is the proprietor and producer from Dog Food Studios, and mm-hmm. has. Vast experience vast. about how to get RPGs from and table to your eyeball. Patrick, how you doing?
1: I'm not doing too badly. It's nice to be described as having vast experience in something, I suppose. I, I do have a little bit of experience. That felt that felt good in my soul. Like, oh, I have experience of something. That's nice.
0: I am here to lift you up before we talk numbers, which will drag you down. Unless it's oh, yeah. doing well, in sure which will. case, awesome. So uh, what got you to have the idea of, I am going to play and game, and I will make it look good and then money from it
1: well wow. That's uh, an interesting one. So my my background, for, for people who don't know, is I, I used to work at a, a company called Penny Arcade, who put on, and I put on actual plays for them. So I did a, a couple of uh, live actual plays, and then of course, a COVID hit, and everyone transitioned to Zoom. One of the reasons why I really wanted to do a live actual play, as in having everyone around a table in the same room, is that there has been such an explosion in Zoom games that it's very, very difficult to stand out. Even if you're playing a game like Mage, which is perhaps a a little bit more obscure it's not played as often as say i dare i say it vampire or Dungeons and Dragons, certainly. So
0: I want to, I think it would be great if we started convincing people that ever since it was taken over by the Swedes, it's now pronounced vampire or something vampire. like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: I think it should be. It's that's, vampire. That's
0: much, it's friendlier apart yeah. from anything
1: else. And that's, that's where the brand is heading is like, it's a friendlier a game. So yeah, vampire. It's, it's vampire
0: the Nascarade. Yeah, that's how, yeah. You, that's how you do it.
1: <laughs> so there was the kind of thing where I, I left Penny Arcade and I decided to set up my own studio and do my own games. And the first thought was, if you want to stand out, the way you stand out is probably by doing it live in a room with people. There are, of course, other ways to stand out. Like, for instance, I, I have to shout out Michaela Sims is breaking new ground with Zoom games in a game of Mage the Ascension. And I'm glad that I did not choose to do a Zoom game because she is so much better at it than me.
0: So Michaela Sims is, do you remember when Wendy's put out an RPG like two or three years ago? I do remember that, yeah. And the Wendy's RPG, the thing that was infuriating about it was it was done by like an intern right. over the course of three months and it looked better than sixty percent of games that have ever been produced. Oh yeah. And the person got $0. And Michaela knows what she's doing as far as being a storyteller. But I remember like, oh, yours looks great. What skill set did you bring into this? And Michaela's like, nothing. I knew nothing. I learned everything myself. I did it with metal and brawn. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's the bar we're setting. Literally do anything and you will be better than most
1: people, which is terrifying. That's one of the things that I learned very quickly as someone who, I did, I did, Know four or five actual plays, I think. Previously in my life, but I always had a team. Mm-hmm. Very quickly realized that I did not know anything. You realize how much kind of slack other people are giving you. So yeah, but the, the decision to make a live game was in order to stand out, in order to look a little bit different from the Zoom game explosion that's happened uh over the course of the pandemic. That was a decision that causes a lot of difficulties compared to doing a Zoom game, which is of course, I'm not gonna say It's easy. There is a lower bar to entry. And there are several things that are much more difficult when you're doing something in a room with other people. In fact, it's like a force multiplier in terms both of the expense of the project and uh, the difficulty of it. Uh, So the
0: thing, though, that the live game brings to me is the ability to talk on top of people, which happens in the real world, especially in tense scenarios, as opposed to people politely waiting. Ombligo del Diablo, I commend them for either being recording in person, being very good at editing together, or having the sublime ability to have a conversation with someone else with a quarter second delay and talk on top of each other well. I did my first live episode of Mage the Podcast, where there were two people in my living room, and I will summarize the episode as us going, Ah! Ah, another person! Fuck COVID! Ah, another person! Oh, so absolutely. There was a certain energy that we had to it.
1: One of the things that you actually you discover very quickly when you start recording in the same room is that when you're recording remotely, you're not all appearing on each other's microphones. I managed to set up two of the microphones so that it was like a
0: perfect half wave, like offset a half cycle from the microphone uh-huh. next to me. So I would cancel myself out. Oh yeah, face
1: cancellation. (laughs) That's one of those things that will have you absolutely tearing your hair out when you're doing audio. Yeah. There's a lot of different challenges like that. Audio is the big one. You're no longer isolated. You're sitting next to people. If you don't have like a huge fancy gaming table that costs three and a half grand, you're probably going to be sitting around something that looks a little like a a kitchen or a dining room table. And you're sitting very close to people. And you can hear every time you speak, you are in your mic and you're in everyone else's mic. And when you play that back, it sounds like an echo. It sounds like reverb. It just sounds not like NPR. So that's one of the first challenges that we realized, that getting rid of bleed on mics is incredibly time-consuming.
0: Was most of it bleed or echo? So to me, you have the sound that is being directly picked up by my mouth going to your microphone, and then mm-hmm. you have the room and back. The, the yeah. bleed was less of a problem for me than than what was implicitly the echo.
1: We definitely, for us, it was more bleed. We were close-miking people with Lavelia mic, so bleed was an issue, but generally... We're in a decent room. We, and labs uh, are pretty omnidirectional. It was, I should say, I guess, for people who are listening to the podcast who don't know, a lavalier mic is a, is a kind of one of those tiny mics that you clip on your collar and point it at your mouth hole and hope for the best. And you get a great sound quality on it. But if anyone hits their chest regularly or just like scratches near the microphone, that's stuff you'll have to take out in post. Economically, when you start putting together a live game, You have a lot of new things you have to to get. So I would say for a Zoom game, your your primary, the things you absolutely need, you need mics for everyone. uh, And you can use USB mics like a Blue Yeti is a perfectly cromulent mic. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. So you can get four Blue Yetis if you got, well, let's say five, because you've probably got a DM and four players. Five Blue Yetis for everyone. Got to get five webcams, and you've got to get you've got to probably get some kind of overlay so that you can put all of these people onto one page, and then of course, you can you can once you've got a great handle on that, you can go crazy and do all the amazing production value stuff that Michaela Sims does.
0: Like saying, once you've got a handle on that to me is the equivalent of saying, well, once you've mastered Cervantes, you can really dive into Spanish <laughs> literature,
1: <laughs> like- yeah, right? That's <laughs> there's yeah, there's, there's a lot to do with the Zoom game once you're uh putting together a live game, you have to think about, okay, I need cameras now. And I will need at least three cameras, unless there's a very creative way of using cameras that I'm not un- unaware of. And need stands for those cameras. Okay, now everyone has to be lit. Believe me, we tested because I did not want to spend any more money than I have to, we tested seeing if I could do it with like existing ring lights, you cannot do it with existing ring lights, you have to get real lighting, or it looks like a home video.
0: So when you say real lighting, I did wedding photography for a while. So I assumed you had a key fill... And then maybe Mm -hmm. a rim. Did you also have like hair light or a kick light or anything like that? What is your lighting setup, I
1: guess? We actually have, you certainly know more about lighting than me because I'm very much learning on the job. I was very, very lucky to have an acquaintance of mine helped me out a lot with lighting who just loves doing lights. Gave me out a full lighting plot. So we have four stands with three LED lamps on them on each corner. So everyone is, is front lit and back lit. And then we have the, we lit the set. We actually use Chauvet DJ lights, which are intended to make your wedding DJ set look amazing. And we have those lighting the set so that the separation between the background and the players and to, just that on its own is a good bit of money. But yeah, so you're going to have to make sure everyone's lit. Everyone looks great. Then you're going to have to get microphones. We went with lavelia microphones. Here's my pro tip, by the way, for anyone who is filming anything. Do not have one single source of audio. So don't just have... Everyone's got their lav mics. Lav mics will never go wrong. Lav mics will definitely go wrong. They can sense fear. Oh, oh yes, absolutely. They know. They know when there's no backup. So uh, we put a uh, shotgun mic, which is a, a long condenser microphone that is good at sort of getting getting sound from a, a fairly long range. Uh, ideally, you could put them all to called a boom, which is a big crane arm, and that is useful not only for emergency audio but also for syncing everything up in post production
0: are you recording the lav mics to a central source or are they all going to like a Podcaster Road or something like that?
1: We get, the lav mics are going straight into an audio interface, uh, which is another issue because if you have five players, which is a perfectly normal amount of players, there's not all that many standard audio interfaces that will record five people. You can get two cheap,
0: 200 bucks, 150. You can get four, a little bit more coin, four Benjamins, but the moment you want that fifth plugin, it's like, I need your kidney.
1: Yeah, it's good, because they, they do eight. Yeah, It goes straight from four to eight. It's yeah. like, okay, now you, because they assume you need a drum kit at that point. I yes. Think. And if anyone is, by the way, in, in terms of Zoom games, if anyone's putting together a Zoom game, I do say that it is a big step up if you can get a dedicated audio interface rather than USB. A Focusrite, make incredibly cheap, relatively speaking, audio interfaces so but yeah we actually went with focus right for this one because okay. we needed eight we needed a channel or something like that yeah or, we, so yep. it's a scarlet eight it's something i think four
0: V eight yeah the, the numbers don't yeah. always quite match up to what you think you have i went with a pod track p8 mm-hmm. for my multi-track stuff that'll take in six plus someone can call
1: so they're all going into the an audio interface and then the shotgun mic is recording directly onto the camera it's plugged into the camera and is recording directly onto an SD card as a backup at any point And also for the very useful task of syncing audio to video in post-production.
0: Okay. So it's the audio video sync that you're more or less interested yeah. in, not necessarily audio to audio.
1: Yeah. Okay. Because your uh, interface is Ideally, be- you yeah. never use that shotgun mic because it doesn't really sound great.
0: That's going to be super directional. What is that even pointed at? Like
1: the table? Let's say, so we have a three camera setup and camera one is pointed at the two players at one side of the table and that has a shotgun mic on it. And the reason you don't want to use shotgun mics for all your audio, aside from the fact that it doesn't sound brilliant if you're mm-hmm. just putting them on the camera, unless you're spending a lot of time getting it to sound really good. And, and
0: bass fades off pretty quickly with distance. Yeah. So it's, it's real hard to catch that on a shotty.
1: So you also can't at that point, let's say we've got player one and player two and player one talks very quietly and player two talks more loudly. You can't turn player one up without also turning player two up. So you do need to have everyone close mic as well. That's just the sound, sound side of things. And then you have to think about, so actually I would say to anyone, if you are thinking about doing an actual play of any kind, get the sound right. It's the most important thing. Even if all the video goes wrong, you have a podcast. Whereas if you have good video and bad sound, you have a dumpster no one fire. You're yeah. going to watch it. It's terrible. Like it's HD public best. access. We learned a lot, even in just the first episode from, from miking everyone and going, okay, here's how we need to mic people next time. Because this time we had this, this, and this problem. Uh, why lav as opposed to like a, a desktop mic? So the reason we went with lavs was it was actually, it turned out to be, I think a little bit cheaper than using, we, we could have used something like an SM58, which is uh for those of you who don't know, an SM58 is, imagine a microphone. That is an SM58. It is the platonic ideal of microphone. When... It is the microphone you have seen every time you've seen someone talking to a microphone, basically, unless they were in film and they were trying to show how fancy the studio was, and then it will be a U87. But otherwise, it's an SM58. And I do highly recommend that if you're ever seeing a scene in a movie where someone is singing in a music studio, say, looks like a, looks like a U87. And people think you're very, very clever, and you're probably right.
0: Yeah, that's a standard large fa- uh, diaphragm condenser, right? Yeah, it's yeah. very
1: expensive. Uh, yes, um, yes. Yeah, they it's are. about three and a half grand, I think. The reason we don't go with the desk uh, solution was we I was a little bit worried about table space yeah. and also like if you've got them mounted on the uh, onto the table themselves you start to pick up noise if anyone hits the desk that otherwise kind of you need to
0: isolate it from vibration and that doubles the yeah. the, the price of the stand and then you have an XLR cord which is impossible to hide
1: Unless you were like, here's my life-size Cthulhu or something uh, like that. Yeah. Exactly. And it was also like, demonstrate now that one can be talking into an SM58 and having the most wonderful time. And then they get excited and they get close to the mic. And now it sounds like this. And then they start to get further away from the mic. And it sounds like this. The lab tends to move with you. That You, you can definitely do things that I do where I lean forward and now the lav mic is touching my throat. Yeah. You <laughs> uh, got
0: this Frampton comes alive thing.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, um, so. Certainly not flawless, but that was why we went with a lab microphone. Okay. So, the, the kind of upshot of the audio and the video sound of things is that setting up a live play that is literally live and everyone is in the same room is very, very expensive. It is not something that you can do. Uh, one of the things you learn is not something you can do particularly cheaply. You should not plan for the idea that you're going to do all of this alone, especially if you're also in the show. You'll need help, you'll need good friends, you'll need, well, you know, you can all learn together as me and my, I have a, a small crew. We are all kind of learning this together. Uh, it, it, it is possible to do, but you, you will need help. You will go absolutely barking mad. Like auteur theory does not apply <laughs> to web productions. You cannot just be like, "No, I am the person. This is my vision. I will do all the lights, I will build the set, I will dress the set. I will do all of the, I will do all of the microphones. I will press play on. Uh, so for instance, if I'm the storyteller and I have a microphone on me, I can't press play and record at the same time to get to, sorry, no, it would be, uh, it would be, what would be, control space, because I use Pro Tool. Uh I can't press control space on the laptop because it's on the other side of the room. I can't be aware of when cameras have gone down, which happened in the game we filmed yesterday. We lost a camera. I can't be aware of when someone is catastrophically lost their lav mic and it needs to be reset. So yes, you, you need a team, and uh, there is certainly some starting capital required to do it this way.
0: Now, when you're talking about recording video for that, are you using what I'll refer to as like the unwrapped or the exploded table, where you more or less have five people around a table, two on each side, and then a storyteller or GM at the head of the table, and then yes. you kind of unfold that when
1: presenting the video,
0: where you would then show three shots, one of two people, oh, another yes. of two people, and then one of the GM.
1: Yes, absolutely. That's okay. that's how we have it. And we don't have a specialty table because if you want to double your budget, get a, a specialty gaming table.
0: It is frustrating because sometimes I'll be waiting for a live stream and I'll just be like, oh, this is Jim's home game of Pathfinder 2E. And I will mm-hmm. see their setup and I'm like, that is better than most community theaters
1: oh, yeah. can manage.
0: You could plan the storming of Normandy
1: on that thing. <laughs> We bought a slightly bigger kitchen table than the, the one we already had, and and we're, we're making do with that for now. If and when the show becomes wildly profitable, that will probably be the first big upgrade will be a specialty table, because it does help a lot. It helps to have people a little bit more distant from each other, and it also means that you can have all of the players, a lot of these uh, tables that are built for streaming are slanted in such a way that the players appear to be the same distance away from the camera, which is a very cool effect, as opposed oh, okay. to with the, the way that I have it now, one player is very clearly closer to the camera and bigger, and another person is a little further away. It's a little harder to read expressions and things like that.
0: That's fascinating. So a forced perspective table. Mm. Running through what you've outlined so far, if every player is getting a lab mic or at minimum a Yeti, you have some sort of cabling from that. You have an audio interface that that's going into that's going to be four channel. You probably, from your descriptor, have kind of like a panel light per person. And panel Mm -hmm. lights are fascinating because they're glorious, but they are very linearly expensive. When yes. you're like, oh, this one's four times the size of, oh God, it's four times as much, which makes sense because that's how yeah. multiplication works. It sounds like your startup cost, not including software, is going to be almost $400 per person at
1: that table, presuming you already have the table. It's honestly probably a little more than that. Okay. The lighting just for the the set lighting, which is lighting the set itself, which the set I'll talk about as a work of genius, it was created by my wife, it was $1,300. For the set lighting. Okay. Okay. The, so you've got
0: what, four panels, something to fill, and then stands for each of those, which I didn't yeah. include.
1: And that's not what's lighting the players. I'll have to look on a different website to get that. The audio interface is about $550, and each mic is 140 Okay. That's without shotgun mics, because each of these shotgun mics, which you because you've three got on suspenders.
0: So take that yeah. number I said earlier and multiply it by two. And yeah. We're it's, looking at it's, it. So
1: It's not cheap. And that's why I would say that it is. So one of the reasons I, I suppose that I did it is that it is, this is what I do. This is what I previously did for a job. And I wanted to just kind of set myself out apart a little bit. And I do not think there's anything wrong, I should say. I'm not snobby about it with running a game because you love it and you just want to show people. I like, I think the creation of art is an inherently good and worthwhile thing. This was something I wanted to look like a professional production because it's from my production studio. And yeah, so... The, you know, Then you've got you know, cables you're going to run with things and then each camera if you want. I would say if you're going to save money anyway, you can probably save on cameras. You probably want three of the same cameras, but you could get away with using a DSLR or whatever. You could use your phones if you really wanted to. As long as three of you have probably the same phone. And you can put it on a stand, you could record perfectly cromulantly with that. Especially with um, that kind of lighting setup. Yeah. Like
0: the better your lighting, the more, yeah, uh, the more room you have with the cameras. Yes.
1: That's actually the thing I think is that is that lighting is probably the single most important thing. And I can bring an example of a previous project I did, which I won't I won't name because uh, it's it's at my my previous employers, but we actually halfway through, we realized something wasn't working right. Like this doesn't look as good as we want, and we got a lighting expert in, and it looked as though we had doubled the budget of the show.
0: Is that one of those things that is surprisingly cheap or surprisingly
1: expensive? The, so the lighting expert
0: That feels like one of those things where you could be like, Yeah, it was $35 and you really and she really helped us. And at the same time, you could be like, it cost eleven hundred dollars for a
1: nine-minute consultation. <laughs> and I'd be like, Oh yeah, well, perfect. I would say it's somewhere in the middle. A lot of people, I was very lucky, so I'll get into some of the ethics of this, actually. If you're doing this as a professional production and you are at some point going to be trying to get money from it, you should offer to pay every single person that you deal with. I believe that very strongly. Some people will say no because they like you or because they enjoy doing it. They'll just say, oh, you don't need to pay me. And I think that is very kind of them. It is very helpful. I'm very glad they did it. I believe very strongly that that is not something that you should take advantage of. But I would say if you're going to have a lighting consultation with someone, that you should probably look on spending about $500 on that. And when we did that a, on a previous project, that did not involve improving the lighting by that much, did not involve buying any more lights. That was looking at the set and saying, What lights do you have? Standing around going, Hmm. Hmm moving stuff around and all of a sudden everything looks fantastic so lighting is the real thing that makes your production look fantastic and then of course you have to decide you have to have a a decent sized room ideally a decent sized and square room is best for audio we did not have a sufficient room like i don't have a good nerd room so for the the podcast i'm looking at terry's nerd room i believe right now which has every single rpg book that has ever been written
0: well, I mean, you're only seeing two out of the three shelves. So.
1: Yeah, sorry. Now, I now realize that there are also uh, part books. of Cinch's library is there <laughs> and several unwritten RPG books. Books yet Every, to be, yes. Yeah, books that yet to be are, are also there. I don't have a good nerd room like that. So a lot of people have a great room that they can go and you see all their cool collectibles in the background and their books and things like that. Just so a we Wheel didn't of have Time
0: that. series over and over again next to each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We filmed this in my kitchen. The way we dealt with that was, and I take no credit for this, all of the production sign was done by my wife and my brother-in-law. Mm-hmm. They bought big sheets of bamboo, bamboo fencing, and hung them on hooks from the ceiling. So it looks as though we're on a pirate ship because it's a pirate-themed game. And then we, we bought a ship's helm. I think that came from Etsy. That was a Christmas gift. And put that behind the DM for more nautical flavor. And then you put some plants around and stuff like that. You'll be surprised what you can do by just kind of putting stuff together and being creative about it with the set. But that is also a consideration. If you already have a room that looks great, use the room that looks great. I did not have access to that. We created a set and I honestly think it looks great.
0: So we've established the place. We've established the sound and it sounds like all of the durable goods have kind of been established starting with the presumption that you already have pro tools ableton audacity mm. audition yeah.
1: whatever
0: are there any other uh, big dumb objects that are required by your reckoning oh you'll need a lot of dice
1: that's one of the big ones that i think is actually really o- easy to overlook until the players are on their way and you go oh we don't have enough d10s We were actually able to, uh, a friend of mine is creating custom dice. That's nice. For a very reasonable rate. You will need dice, that's the big one. Hopefully there's a lot of accoutrement that most storytellers have, such as a storyteller screen, screen, et cetera. Little props. Uh, can can kind of liven things up a lot. But those are the big expenses. You'll also need a decent computer, which most people have right now. And honestly, I think a lot of off the shelf bog standard computers can now do video and sound editing competently. But you'll need that for post production, which is where all of the real work is. Pre production is what takes the time. Post production is what takes the effort and the production itself. That's the fun part. That's where you're just playing with some friends, having fun. And it's like, okay, now to make this a product that everyone else can look at. I suppose the other big dumb object, if, uh, if and this does depend on whether you're attending to do it as a, a sort of professional product, or if you just want to do it with your friends, is there are art assets, which is mainly for used on promoting the show and promotional collateral, which is a marketing term for assets. <laughs> You'll need great art of the characters because that really brings people in. And definitely bear in mind that this is probably the first time people are going to hear about your show is they're going to see a tweet or they're going to see a Facebook post or something and it's going to have a picture of some characters on it. I really prefer personally having character art as opposed to having headshots. But that's just my taste. A lot of people use headshots and I'm not saying that's anything wrong. For anyone who doesn't know, the difference with this is whether you're showing the player themselves having had like a nice photo taken or whether you're showing art of the characters. I prefer art of the characters because that draws me in more.
0: Once you follow one streamer on Twitter, they're like, it's them. They're like, this is me as DJ Bustalot. This is me as yeah. a half Tuareg uh, gnome raider. And you're like, how do they have the Tuaregs in that world? That doesn't make any, like, here's <laughs> me as an Aasimar, uh prostitute. And then below that, you're like, this is my cyborg. And they're like, they're all the same. That's just yeah. you. Only Jeff Goldblum gets to do that.
1: So it's um, so definitely always be on the lookout for good artists. Look out for when their commissions are open and try and get some really good art done because bad art is like bad sound. If you have bad art when you're promoting something, like your show could look amazing and be the most professional West End production. But if you've got some sort of MS paint looking art for it, people aren't going to watch it.
0: Yeah, there, there's no way to overcome bad art or
1: bad sound. There's, yeah. You can't make up for it. Those are all the big things, really. Everything else, like you know, it's nice to have an intro. Uh, You can do great intros in in After Effects and and things like that. I don't know how to do it. I am having a a very talented animator help me with that side of things. But that is definitely the icing on the cake. If someone told me I'm launching a show, but I don't have an intro yet, I'm like, you don't need an intro. Just Mm -hmm. start with hello, it's me. (laughs) You'll be fine. Like you can use it as another asset. You can use it as a trailer, and it does give that little bit of. to whatever you're doing. Doing. But yeah, those those are the really big ones.
0: So we've kind of ignored the paying the talent. So in your business model, there's no way to get microphones on a percentage of commission basis. But Mm -hmm. people and friends and the dumb will agree to work for free or nearly free if there is a notional future payoff. So walking yes. into this, you plunk down, based on what you outlined, $5,000 on stuff. Now, yeah. that is useful. Some of that is recoverable. The webcam oh, yeah. I use is my backup camera when I'm shooting something. So it, it yeah. is my spare DSLR. I justified it with podcasting and having a good mic because I work from home most of the time now but it it does have a durable value otherwise uh, it's nice to have led light panels around especially when the weather is bad and you can just kind of point them all at you and you have this really nice radiance that you can summon but as far as the people when walking into this project what model were you thinking of in terms of remunerating the,
1: the people that made it possible i went into this assuming that i would be paying everyone Luckily, I was working with friends and I have friends who are very, very talented TTRPG players who I had worked with previously and everyone was offered money and some people I offered the money and they told me to shut up.
0: Are you comfortable sharing what you think a reasonable starting rate is for a talented person to do that stuff is? No, is fine.
1: It it can be difficult sometimes. Like, I certainly wouldn't give specifics of of what I pay because that can be difficult for the artist uh, because then someone might go, oh, X person is getting that much. That's how much they charge and it makes it very difficult for them to charge more in the future and In terms of a general budget, if you're paying people less than $100 for the game, you are underpaying.
0: Yeah. And I think Michaela mentioned specifically that she's targeting two hundred per person because
1: that's scale. Yeah, that's a a really good rate. Like Mm -hmm. most people would be very happy with two hundred per person. One of the things that I agreed to was that when we talk about pay is that anyone who said to me, actually I don't want any money from this, I said to them, You can change your mind at any point. And one of the things that I'm I am most hot on and I want to if I impress one thing upon people, it's this. Everyone, you should Try and your best to pay them, even if you think they won't let you. It's very, very important not to take advantage of people's kindness. But yes, so one of the things will definitely be as soon as this show is profitable, the first thing that's happening is that people are having money stuffed into their pockets whether they like it or not.
0: With things mostly being sunk expenses for material costs and the rest being variable costs for labor, what to you means profitable?
1: So profitable for me would mean that, that's a, that's a good question. So right now uh, the show is not really launched. So my Patreon is is essentially some people who are big supporters of mine who are just like we want to make this show happen, we're giving you some money. And currently it's, it's basically paying for the catering so everyone, everyone can get fed. Profitable for me would mean getting to the point where I could afford to to pay everyone without losing money i see profitable as covering the running costs of paying talent probably the the real break-even point i would say where i was paying everyone an amount that i was comfortable with including crew would probably be about fifteen hundred dollars per session that's quite a lot but that would be me considering that i want everyone to feel well financially compensated for it. That isn't the minimum you can get away with. That's what I would kind of consider profitable. And then anything else after that point is going to paying off the sunken cost and it's paying me for my time.
0: So in this, in this, thing you are paying yourself last.
1: Yes, absolutely. I really believe pretty strongly in that because uh, I'm I'm the business owner. I take on all the expenses. That's my responsibility. So everyone gets paid and then I go from whatever's left. Part of the idea of this is that every show you do is both a show in itself. And it's so I'm going to get into some, some marketing speak. Everything you put out exists somewhere in the terms of what's called a marketing funnel, where at the beginning, at the top of the funnel, the widest part of it, someone is just aware that Patrick McNamara exists. So that might even be something like doing a podcast interview. It's like someone goes, oh, Patrick McNamara exists. He plays RPGs that's nice. I don't really feel like I need to give him money, but they're in the top of the funnel. And then as you go down, you get people to engage with your content, whatever you're doing more and more. And then at what we call the bottom of the funnel, someone's giving you money, you've made a sale, whether that is a t-shirt or whether that is someone pledging to you on Patreon, which is the revenue model for my game. So you can't see the idea for everything is that everything exists both as a piece of content in its own right that you can ask someone for money for, and as something marketing you as a person in the hope that people will continue to give you money for your creative endeavors that's why i think crowdsourcing like patreon is very very good for that because it allows you to put stuff out into the world for everyone to see and then say if you would like to support this please do do so here
0: the marketing funnel to me is kind of made up of a bunch of steps. At the top, you have awareness. Someone knows that you exist. Consideration, they are thinking of entering some sort of relationship with you as a producer of a thing and they as someone who is going to provide you something in exchange in the vaguest terms possible. You have conversion, the process by which they actually buy a thing. Loyalty after that is when they go on and continue to buy from you. That is the uh, the leap, as it were, from Ko-Fi to Patreon. Um, And then the last thing, and I think this is one that is super important but doesn't get talked about enough, is the level of advocacy. Advocacy. Where someone suddenly says, Patrick's doing this cool thing you should help, you should participate in it too. So ideally Absolutely. the person who comes to the bottom of that funnel is helping to feed other people in at the top. And I mean, every mate of the Podcast episode says, if you like this episode, tell a friend about it. It's kind of interesting just looking at our Discord. I ask everyone who joins, what's your favorite tradition or something like that? And maybe something about their RPG group. And it's interesting to see a storyteller join. And then three weeks later, all of their players join the Discord too. Yeah. So that <laughs> that is, I mean, we are not as directly financially driven, but that is a case where someone has gone from awareness to advocacy and then introduced others at the consideration level or the awareness level, which is pretty powerful.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And my background is actually, uh, before I produced things, it was in community management. A lot of people who are in a community are to some degree, whatever brand is running the community, they are an advocate for it. So building those relationships is very important to me. And I believe in the value of it, firstly, inherently, because you are just building relationships with people and that is rewarding. But generally, those are the people... that will help you out, that will tell people about your work. And uh, it, it is a very rewarding way of looking at that relationship. Why I, I try never to, unless I slip up, use the word fan. Firstly, because I mean, I, th- I think it's a little pretentious when you're at my level, but says like, oh yes, I, I have 12 fans who support me on Patreon. Like, no, I have 12 supporters. A lot of them I know, quite well. Someday, I, you know, you obviously hope to have more supporters over time. I think it's very important to never take that relationship for granted, kind of to always remember that your whatever art you create exists at the pleasure of the people who support it. And I think it's important to have a, a real level of respect for that.
0: So we've kind of isolated that if your goal is to generate something like 1500 an episode, the per episode is a reasonable way of thinking about it in terms of production costs and so on. But frequently these models are associated with monthly revenue streams, whether they be something yeah. like sponsorships or, sure, with CPKs it's going to be nearly in real time, but for or something like Patreon, that's going to be a monthly revenue stream. What are the avenues you plan on pursuing to get that money?
1: that's a very good question and it keeps me up at night <laughs> basically I, I'm considering like I, I do a lot of a few different forms of content okay. uh, I stream music production on Twitch I now have most of the costs of doing an RPG show sunk aside from playing talent and crew um, you know I have good cameras I have good mics I can, I can do a lot of good stuff like that part of the plan for that is that I will do other types of content maybe not always RPG content and they will all form a rich melange of Patrick McNamara and but the idea is always to get them to the bottom of the funnel to Patreon because I believe quite strongly in the Patreon model. I'll say that again. I believe quite strongly in the Patreon model. I believe strongly in the Patreon model. There is, of course, sponsorship. The thing with sponsorship is that sponsorships and endorsements are more likely to come to you the less you need them. So I am working on the model that I assume I will never get a sponsorship or an endorsement. Mm -hmm. If one does come along, that will be great. And that's something that will happen as I build connections and a reputation in the industry as myself. Now, endorsements are a lot easier when you have a large brand behind you, as I used to have. I no longer do. Dog Food Studios is not a big brand, and I have my eyes absolutely open about that. But over time, the hope is that it will become a more succulent morsel. For dice makers and things like that to say, oh, yeah, that that guy's good. Let's, uh, Let's see where he's going. But in order to get there, you first can't let the tail wag the dog. You can't say, I'm going to do this great show. It's going to look great. You have to make it. And then you have to show there's an audience for it. People are already watching it. Would you like to come on board? It's very difficult to bootstrap something like that unless you have very, very good contact network. And I'm an extremely off-putting person. So that's never been uh, easy for me to build. Or you have a track record. Like if
0: this were the seventh thing and all of them were getting 10,000 views a piece, then that would change things. But uh, to go back to something previously you said, to me, one of the things that always makes me concerned is when someone talks about the monetization strategy of are they monetizing their brand or the brand of the thing they produced? So it sounds like your revenue model is people support Patrick McNamara and Mm. Patrick produces a show as opposed Mm. to people supporting the show.
1: That is definitely it. Patreon, which I'll plug here, patreon.com4.com Forward slash Patrick McNamara, which is basically impossible to spell. But and there's a lot of different things on there as opposed to me saying this is the Patreon for Mage of Sale, you're supporting the creation of Mage of Sale. I'm also a musician and a music producer. And so that kind of content also goes onto the Patreon and is accessible to people on there. My my thoughts when I quit my job and started my own company and decided to be a, a full time creative was I'm going to try a lot of different things and see which one works. And because of that, it was never like support this one project it was support patrick mcnamara's bullshit
0: that like the sponsorship question though seems to be one of those things where people want to back someone who has already been successful as opposed to somebody on the way so is that something where you would be comfortable saying support mage of sale as kind of that attempt at conversion or do you want to keep it to the patrick mcnamara brand
1: uh, so we, we generally keep it as the, uh, as the Patrick McNamara brand, mm-hmm. because the hope is that I will get people to then be interested in other things that I do. On the show, we say support Mage of Sale. Okay. Uh, because Got that it. makes more sense rather than, uh, to me at least than saying just like, hello, support me. I'm Patrick McNamara. Give me money. Who knows what you'll get for it. If you say support Mage of Sale, people are more making a more direct link between, I like this show. I want to support it. And the idea is that then even at the bottle of bottom of my funnel, where they're sitting there saying, oh, here I am at the bottom of the funnel. There's no more stuff for me to enjoy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put some music in their email inbox. And hopefully they like that too, or like like something that I do. Uh, but
0: what is the benefit of them liking that other thing? Because you already have them. Mm-hmm. What are you doing besides potentially diluting
1: what you're up to? Well, that's a very good question, Terry. That's, a, that's another one that keeps me up at night. The question of like diluting the brand is really that I, I consider it of me giving them more value, and they can they can kind of choose to, uh, they can choose to engage with each side of this or not. There, are, uh, I hope people who like the music but aren't super interested in me doing tabletop RPGs, and uh, vice versa. The creation of art is an inherently worthwhile endeavor, so I want to put that stuff out there and have people listen to it either way. But also, you're just giving m- more people more value and feelings and more things that they might like. Yeah, there isn't a direct bottom line thing where I'm sort of, oh, well, because I'm doing music, I'm going to charge you a little bit more. But I do think it's giving people more than they expect, I do think pays off economically in the long term. And because it is, uh, I also get to engage in the ecstatic act of creation. And it's something I enjoy, it doesn't feel like it's something I'm going to be doing anyway.
0: Got it. Because there was a bunch of early eBay research that tried to answer the question of what should you sell as a set and what should you sell individually? Mm. And one of the questions was, for instance, does it make more sense to sell four plates individually, four napkins individually, a full set of plates, a full set of napkins, or a set of plate and napkins? And Mm. the winner in terms of revenue was you sell the plates and you sell the napkins separately. Okay. Um, because they are not sufficiently related that the set bonus induces enough demand. So whenever I see a creator promoting a another project, it always feels like that, that it would make sense to have a revenue stream for the music and a revenue stream for Age of Sale. That probably only comes up at a certain scale, but like in a lot of cases where artists are saying, support me, the thing we give in relationship is kind of access... Yeah. Or more behind the scenes stuff, like you're essentially selling how you feel today, which, yeah. uh, or alternatively monetizing. And that to me is something that I find a little bit fascinating because the people who m- yield revenue from that, it seems to be a weird mix of people who thrive from sharing that, people who are indifferent from it, or people for whom sharing that is another avenue of, for lack of a better term, artistic depletion where it does take something out of them to do that. And I'm, the more I, I spend time with creators who have monetized, uh, attempted to monetize in that way as being a personality, that is kind of the downside or the additional thing mm-hmm. that is creating marginal revenue.
1: So I love talking about my work, okay, which is very different from, I remember hearing a, the singer from a band called The Darkness, uh, Justin Hawkins, talking recently, he says, no one learns to play guitar because they want to do interviews with music journalists. I love doing interviews. I think it's great. So uh, part of the thing about that, of the idea of that people get kind of access to me talking about my work and my thought process and things like that, is that is something I genuinely enjoy. And I think when we talk about the, the creative depletion, which is a, definitely a real thing, some of that stuff actually talking about my process is part of what recharges me. So I do enjoy part of that. But I think you've you've raised a very good question that anyone who was thinking of doing what I'm doing should think about. I think it's a very good question. And I'm glad you asked me it because it's going to give me some thought, I think, in the future. There may come a time where I'm losing Patreon subscribers because I keep emailing them the song I did this month. Uh, and at that point, we will change the Patreon name to Mage of Sale. And I will make a smaller Patreon for people who just want the music. There is the difficulty, certainly at my level, of diluting your brand and kind of trying to chase two rabbits at once. But yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting in terms of like, I, we're still in an era where a lot like Patreon, especially do a lot of different research on what makes a successful Patreon, but it's still the Wild West a little bit. No one's really sure. It's Same with Twitch. There's always a, an element of alchemy to it. I would say that the thing that I hope or endeavor to be is flexible and Part of when I decided, when I started this and I said, I'm going to see what works was I'm going to see what doesn't work. We're not at that point yet. We're at the point right now where the brand of Patrick McNamara, as small as it is, is more potent than the brand of the game. And the Patreon has existed for a full year or so as just a source of people basically tipping me for my Twitch streams where I make money, where I make music. So this is a little bit of a shift in itself, but it, it's definitely worth thinking in the future is okay. What is this? What does this brand look like as it grows? There are kind of
0: two independent questions. I'll ask the little one first. Mm-hmm. At all, are you hoping that this is more to get your name out there as Patrick McNamara is a uh, Modiphius has a new game or Freeliga has a new game and they want to do a well-produced, but maybe not blockbuster, actual play? that is a cut above the rest. Are you hoping that this can act as a demo reel for that as a type of revenue opportunity?
1: Absolutely. Okay. That is definitely the plan, is that at some point, well, I'll have a good catalog of things where I can say, hey, look, we did this great show that millions of people watch every day um or we do a show that you know has a has a decent fan base and we can show that we're good at making these. Would you like to me to make a Call of Cthulhu game? Would you like me to dare I say it, make a, a an official World of Darkness project or something like that? That is definitely the hope in the future and that Dogfood Studios will be the production company behind that and I will just be the the kind of the face of Dogfood Studios essentially.
0: My other question is when you are thinking of other ways of monetizing it what are your thoughts you made reference to to merch earlier but are you walking in with any thoughts in terms of this is uh something that i can exchange with an
1: enthusiast to get money much mm-hmm. is an interesting one there's a real danger with merch of uh making ego merch, which is i'm so cool look at me i have t-shirts that have major sale on them And then no one buys them. Mm -hmm. And that's less of an issue now with things like Teespring where you can print on demand. But I do think it's possible to put the cart before the horse. I would eventually like to sell merch because selling merch and especially like having merch with your brand on it and your show and seeing other people wear that is a very, very rewarding experience. So I would like to sell merch, but I think uh, I'm going to steal a phrase from one of my players, the very talented merch expert, Lydia Piper, who always told me that your merch is another way of communicating with your audience. It's a way of keeping that relationship going. You know, you say, hey, I made this cool thing. And then they say, great, have some money for it. And then they are wearing a thing that shows that they think you're cool. There's something really there's something really harmonious about that. Like I, I really love that as a concept. So I think there is a mistaken belief perhaps that merch is is extremely profitable. And I don't think it is. Ideally, you make you make a little bit of money on merch, but the main idea for it is that it is another thing that builds your builds your brand up and helps you to communicate with your supporters.
0: The one that I found interesting, and I am curious to see what games This would work for and which ones where it didn't would be community content tied to an established brand i Mm -hmm. wonder why or if there will be an la by night supplement on the storyteller vault that is like behind the fangs or something like that i'm currently working on a project similar to that hopefully someone who did a bunch of work in the mage past where we will say hey here's all the stuff that never actually made it into a book and here's some Other interesting tidbits from this creator that you may find fascinating, like I would be fascinated to see, for instance, your storyteller notebook, again, assuming this Mm. got moderately popular, or alternatively, a here is the Mage of Sale setting book. There are high-end versions of that, like Acquisitions Incorporated or what have you. Oh, yeah. But I worked on that. Uh, the thing where I'm at a criminal disadvantage is I have successfully consumed two actuals play. Mm-hmm. I find them mostly insufferable.
1: Um, oh, absolutely. Don't, don't quote me on that. Um, but yeah, they're, they're mostly pretty bad. I certainly, in my in my most feverish dreams, I would love to one day write the Major Sales Source book. One of the reasons I think that I didn't approach you to be like, can we do a Major, uh, a major the podcast on this? Is I'm now fairly far afield from the Purple book.
0: But luckily um, for a setting book, that doesn't matter as yeah. much. Your book can have as many mechanics in it as the V five Camarilla book,
1: oh, which is to say zero. <laughs> so I would I would love to someday write a book about the setting of Mage of Sale. That would be a real dream come true. This is this is feeling this like no, this has found its audience, and it's, and and it's the great the amazing thing is it's like the the equivalent of like fu money. But when the creative sense is if someone goes, oh, I don't like that. I'm not interested in that. (laughs) I don't care. Yeah. Like that's a, that's a wonderful feeling. And that is something that like the era of crowdfunding has really given us is that if you can give the people who like you and support you what they want, you don't have to care about the people who don't like you and don't support you. They're irrelevant and their opinions don't matter. And that is, that is a great feeling. I did one of,
0: made the podcast episode on Invisible Sun and how to run a surreal game, just because Mm -hmm. that is something that comes naturally to me. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that weirdness very easy to embrace. The kind of weirdness where you're not expected to stare at it directly, but it adds a lot of feeling to the world around you. And I uploaded it. And normally by the end of a weekend, each episode will have about 600 listens to it. And this one had like 300. And I'm like, oh my God. I went too far afield. No one will ever listen to me again. I'm going to have mm. to panhandle if I ever want to do podcasting again. And then Anchor sent out this email that says, oops, we screwed up the statistics. Oh. Um, and <laughs> and it had like 750 listens out the gate. Oh, and I'm like, great, my people yeah. have found me. <laughs> they know <Great>. my brand.
1: <laughs> I find the mage community in general, like, just incredibly supportive. And one of the things I that surprised me was that when I I did my own version of Mage and I, I kind of did my own mechanics, I was expecting everyone to say that I was doing this podcast and everyone would yell at me. And instead of about the worst I got is like, interesting. That's not what I would have done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, it's,
0: it, it kind of reminds me of what's happening to kind of religion in America. The more dominant your group is, the more space there is for infighting. Mm-hmm. But once you realize... That, like, your game and my game, there's not enough space for us to argue, because it's us versus Dungeons and Dragons. Like, I'm not going to say we circle the wagons, but that kind of bickering feels really small. In the same way that, like, once World of Darkness kind of got kicked in the face, like, the argument of Purple Mage versus Blue Mage kind of died. Like, we didn't have
1: time for it. And the answer is that they both have great ideas. Yeah. Like... Blue Mage is mechanically more sound, perhaps, and Purple Mage I I, I think has slightly cooler lore.
0: Yeah, is what's called fun. I could never get into Blue Mage. I just didn't I didn't know what kind of game
1: the game wanted me to play. Right, and I find that about a lot of the what we call the Chronicles of Darkness yeah. now. It was a little bit too sandbox. Oh, here's some stuff. Have an idea, and I'm like, well, give me a bit of a starting point. Well- <laughs> yeah, the I, I would love someone to put
0: out a Metaplot book. It didn't need to be Canon, but to me, Metaplot yeah. is super powerful in it shows you what can happen in a world. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, it is like binocular vision. It shows the world in motion, and that gives yeah. me a lot of depth information. and it gives me a few key characters to grab onto, which I certainly appreciate. I remember one of the devs commenting that they got a question. Um I like how open the setting is. Do cell phones exist in this world because mm-hmm. they worked very hard not to reference a year or a yeah. place? <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and they're like we know computers exist and the internet exists at least at minimum, but do people have phones? <laughs> like that's a sign.
1: Yeah. It's uh, I had the same thing when I I set the I set the show in 1859. So I realized I set myself up a lot for that with in terms of like, oh, that isn't invented yet. And mm-hmm. even just things like, okay, can I make a joke about vitamin C? Let me look at, oh, vitamin C wasn't discovered until 1920, so now I can't.
0: It took us a remarkably long time to figure out how uh, ascorbic acid worked. In yeah. fact, the term ascorbic literally means against scurvy. Like, Oh, really? That's yes. interesting.
1: I didn't know that. But yeah, so there's a certain amount of that. I was just like looking up facts. Mm-hmm. But the nice thing about Mage is that because it's an alternate history, you can, you can do a lot of, while well, the Order of Reason did it. So if you if you give someone a fountain pen and fountain pens aren't invented yet, oh, it's a you know stole it from a technocrat. Yeah. (laughs) All my
0: characters in this Age of Sail game have fax machines. Um. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. That's
1: how we're doing it. That's how that's how they get ship ship combat.
0: Yep. Speaking of which, I, I look forward to the supplement you're going to do on capital ship combat for Mage. I think that's going to be the real bank breaker in terms of
1: what what sends you over the top. Um, you know, I think I'm going to have to do it because in episode two, this isn't a big spoiler, I mentioned to them they will probably soon have to take a ship. And they went, mm, yeah, we're looking forward to that. And I, I wonder what that looks like. And I went, I wonder what that looks like, too. That
0: makes two of us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I hope it's fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I think when you start adding mages to ship-to-ship combat, that's a real winner. That is just just—it's a, a good concept, and I'm hoping that the concept will do a lot of the work for me.
0: I hope it does too. Uh, We we have talked about a bunch of the numbers, what your goals, what your dreams are, Mm -hmm. kind of your pathway to it. One thing we haven't talked about is we've talked about marketing. We haven't really talked about advertising. How do you Mm -hmm. plan on people finding out about that? And is there a cost associated with that?
1: I'm notoriously bad at uh, self-promotion. I am uh, In terms of the marketing and the advertising, I'm creating assets for it. Um, and I think I'm going to, the nice thing about it is I have quite a specific niche that I can target. And in terms of Facebook marketing in particular, if you are able to go directly to people who like Mage the Ascension, and that's a relatively focused group, that will help a lot. The, definitely the first push is going to be mostly word of mouth. And then we'll see, Do well, like what do we need from there? So, like, my super supporters hopefully will bring some people in and hopefully people who know me from Animal House or Court of Cups will say, oh, yeah, I'll watch this guy do a thing. But, yeah, we'll definitely start off, I think, hopefully the cast will uh, will be able to support uh, and put some of their weight behind it. But things like advertising is uh, something that's likely to happen after the first push, because I like to see what happens organically. What do, people, what do people like? How is this doing on its own? Before I start to uh, give Mark Zuckerberg money to show it to people. It's a very good point. And there is also one of the things you have to weigh up is how do people make the decision to watch a TTRPG live play? So if I were to advertise on RPG net or something like that, do people look at a banner ad and think, I'll click that and then watch an hour long video? And I don't know what the answer to that is, but I think it's something that I will end up finding out one way or another. Let me, let me do I suppose the other thing I would tell people is that if you are scared of audio editing and video editing, and that seems very, very difficult to do to you, the tools you can get for free now are so wildly powerful and easy to use, that do not be scared of it. Simply give yourself a lot of time and assume it'll take probably a little bit longer than you think. But I'm using DaVinci Resolve for video editing, but I have not given uh, Blackmagic Designs a dollar for DaVinci Resolve. Once you get over the first hump of, oh, I don't know what I'm doing, these tools are so easy to use and so easy to get your head around that anyone who is scared of the post-production side of things, don't be. You'll get it. It's fine. And I would say to anyone who is thinking of doing an actual play, whether it is live as I'm doing, which is obviously it requires a lot of heavy lifting or on Zoom. And they're thinking, like, oh, well, there's no, you know, it's a saturated market, which it is. No one's going to watch it. It's like, do it anyway, because it's great fun. It's really good. And having someone watch your your game sessions is just a wonderful feeling and creating stories with your friends for other people to watch is so worthwhile on its own. So I would say to anyone who's thinking like, Oh, I want to do a I want to do one of those, but I'm worried it'll be bad, or I'm worried about this, that and that's like, it doesn't matter if it's bad. Lots of people are doing a bad one, do your bad one, maybe it'll be great. I'm sure you'll bring something to it that no one else can. And that's what creating art is all about, in my opinion.
0: The thing that terrifies me about actual plays is there are two types inspirational and aspirational. Mm -hmm. One is the blockbuster. This is the best version, the platonic ideal of a game is produced. The other is, hey, I could do that. And music is something that does not deal with that dichotomy well. I don't think most people listen to musicians where they say, hey, I could do that. When people say, I could do that with a musician, it's because it's shit. Right. (laughs) The greatest composer of marches in the history of humanity, John Philip Sousa, was opposed to recorded music because he saw in it the death of the community band. Mm -hmm. Prior to a certain point, if you wanted music, you had to help produce it or you had to go somewhere to see it, and that was hard. The moment we could get the best music on the face of the planet on a wax cylinder and then later a shellac or vinyl disc was the death of a community coming together and everyone learning to play an instrument because they wanted music in their lives. I am worried that in some way that is going to happen to Mm Titterpigs, where we are going to show games of such quality that the players will say, this game is shit compared to this. Or storytellers will be scared away from it there's a little bit of insulation in that i don't know how good the world's greatest rpg actual play is compared mm-hmm. to what i can do at my table and also there are people who enjoy the participatory aspect of music i'm one of them i'm a member of an opera company that's how cool i am where there is a joy in the reception of it For me, my spouse gets almost all of her enjoyment from the consumption of music, where I enjoy music, but it is really something else when I get to participate in its making. And I am hoping, though, that for games, that the enjoyment of participating in most people who would game at all far drowns out the enjoyment in engaging Uh, with a fictional world that someone else had created. I'm really hoping that the drive to do it yourself is such that actual plays are bringing in more people who sit down and throw dice and tell stories with friends that are meaningful to them than those who say, oh, I I could never run a game. I'll just watch someone else's.
1: That's something that I could could go on for a long time about. I'm sure aware of the, the idea of the Matt Mercer effect which is that Matt Mercer, who is obviously the the preeminent dungeon master in the world, has an effect where people will say that is the right way of doing it. And if they don't think they can do what Matt Mercer does, they will simply not try. And there's also the fear that, and I, I don't know if this actually happens very often, it's just something people think will happen, is that you will run a game and someone will say, that's not how Matt Mercer would do it. You're doing it wrong. You're letting everyone down. I don't know if players really say that or if storytellers fear it. And one of the quotes that I think is really fantastic is that um, Ravel, uh, the composer, once spoke to Gershwin and told him that he wanted to be just like him. And Gershwin said, why be the second rate Gershwin when you can be a first rate Ravel? And I think that that is a really important lesson for anyone who's thinking I'm not good enough to do this. I'm not good enough to play a game with my friends and be the DM or be the storyteller is that you can bring something to your friends lives that no one else can. (laughs) You can bring your singular creative vision and your way of running that game and your imagination. So don't worry about whether you are living up to someone else because you can never be that person like I can never play guitar like Guthrie Govern, because only Guthrie Govan can but he can't play guitar like Patrick McNamara he probably could he's a genius he doesn't have the same creative light that I have because none of us do none of us have the same creativity as someone else and if there's one thing I get people to listen to me before I die It's that your creativity, everyone's creativity is inherently worthwhile, even if it's bad. Doing it when it's bad is how you get to it being good. That's my soapbox rant about why anyone listening to this who's thinking about running a game but is worried that they can't do it should definitely do it.
0: I don't want to pick apart the inspiration of that, but no. I'm going to pick apart the inspiration of that okay. because contemporaneously we also have the rise of the professional storyteller, which mm. is an implicit statement that people are not, people are either afraid of dungeon mastering, or the quality of dungeon master available is not present. Or it is also could theoretically be the case that we have a new economic model and that there were latent player demand that persisted for a while. But just the fact that that now exists as a job suggests to me that players are willing to throw cash at making sure that they get a de minimis experience. It could also be a commentary on the value of free time that no one wants to spend the time to be the, uh, to be the person running it. But considering the sheer number of like completely fleshed out chronicles or campaigns that you can get, I don't know. Because the question is, do you have the ability to produce an experience that is good enough for your friends in a marketplace where what if you get together with your friends and just watch Critical Role and, like, provide color commentary on it or something like that? So I hope you are right. Mm. But to me, there are enough other evidentiary tracks that suggest that that may not be the case. I don't know, and I don't know how I evaluate my concern. But it is something mm. in the back of my head, as someone involved in community music, and realizing that it is a absolute shadow of what it was at the beginning of the twentieth century.
1: Certainly, on the music side of things, that's something that, that also keeps me up at night. But yeah, I, I have a very, uh, very kind of rose-colored idea, I think, of what storytelling can be, and I do think that there is certainly a lot of fun to be had with your friends watching Critical Role or going to a professional dungeon master and getting them to run you through the Curse of Strahd. But I would love everyone to feel the feeling that I feel when I bring a premise, which is as a storyteller, all I really do is bring a premise to my friends and they create something that is different and better than I could have created on my own. And I would love everyone to know what that feels like. I think you're, you're probably right that I'm, I'm a little optimistic about it,
0: or I may be but a little
1: I, pessimistic. I would love to know that people will try. Or I would love to have some part in getting someone to say, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. I'm going Mm -hmm. to try and I'm going to be my group storyteller. Or even I'm going to be the best player that I can be, and I'm going to be generous with my fellow players, and we're going to create something fantastic together.
0: I really feel as if as people's time becomes more precious to them, The cost of screwing up is higher, and the runway to work out those kinks is shorter before people give it up. Um, When I was a kid, I remember games where people were running Chronicles and... 12 sessions before they got their legs underneath them. I don't know of any adult who would put that much time into right. something. So I wonder if there is a step zero that we need to provide. So to me, it's a case of you need to know the game exists. You need to know what you need to have for the game. You need to have a basic storytelling toolbox because that is remarkably hard to put into a book. The number mm-hmm. of RPGs where they say, what is an RPG? And it goes, find a nerd and have them tell you. Like, if you're not even willing to do that step step zero to me... Yeah.
1: I would close the book.
0: Yeah, you're you're cutting off the audience. Sometimes it is. I will accept that when you get like one of my esoteric games, which is for four players and a horse, and it's about uh, teaching a goldfish to read or something, like one of my Mm -hmm. indie zine games. I get that. I wonder what the market is for let us help people know how a story is told, almost a pre-DM's guide. Um, And I wonder if the growth of play requires steps now that it didn't need, that it maybe it didn't need before, um, and to me maybe the solution is to be willing to run 200 one shots at conventions and then coach people. I'm not, I'm not quite sure.
1: I mean, I would definitely go to a DM coaching service. I think that would be great. I don't know. I certainly wouldn't think that I could do it because I'm not experienced enough. But I would. I that's a very interesting concept. I'm, I'm glad you introduced it into my brain space.
0: It is something that I was hoping would get pickup during COVID because I don't mm-hmm. think there's been enough innovation in terms of online conventions. I think, mm-hmm. in the same way that the first movies were just plays that were filmed, online conventions are offline conventions done on Zoom. And I don't think we've innovated enough. But that is a topic for another day. And I have chewed up a non trivial portion of your time, Mr. McNamara.
1: Well, no, um, it's been, it's always a pleasure, Terry. Thank you very much.
0: Once more, where can we find out more about this project as it unfolds? And if we're interested in what else you're doing, where can we do that?
1: So the best place uh, to look at the moment is, uh, if you're interested in that, is patreon.com forward slash Patrick McNamara. Mm-hmm. But that's a, that's a very big ask. The other place to follow it is uh, go ahead and follow twitter.com forward slash Studios, Where when I believe Mage of Sale is ready for public consumption, that will be where you can find out about it. Awesome. Patrick, thank you so
0: much for talking numbers
1: with RPGnomics. No worries, I really appreciated it. Okay, I can now multi-pin. I can record. I don't know what multi pin is. This is great. No, I have no idea, but I'm I'm thrilled that I can do but it. But you can
0: do it. That's the important part. It's Absolutely. like the Second Amendment. I'm not going to carry a gun around, but it's nice to know that I can... No, oh, wait, it's terrifying
1: because other people can yeah. be armed. It's just other people can do it. Yeah. What if everyone If everyone can multi-pin? We'll all be safe. <laughs>
0: When everyone can multi-pin, nobody can multi-pin. I don't know what multi-pinning is. I should find that out. It would be it would be a problem if it were like
1: terribly offensive. Multi-pin yeah. Zoom. I would I would blame Zoom if it was something offensive.
0: Yeah, yeah. like the kids today call it getting penny more information <laughs> in
1: five. I normally use the shotgun because I so I normally when I stream mm-hmm. I stream music production. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the time I'm playing a guitar. Mm-hmm. So it's terrible to have a mic right here. It makes things very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so a shotgun mic works for this, but if you've got, if you're not on, uh, you know, if you if you're not on video, I think the SM fifty eight is an absolute classic, uh, as opposed to the Super Mario Brothers
0: seven or whatever it is. That's the uh, the, uh, the, the oh, SMV seven or whatever it is. The
1: SM seven B. Yes, that's so what that, it was. That tends to be. So yeah. I side eye people a little bit sometimes if they have an SM seven B. They're making up like, for something. Yeah. yeah, if it's not their job to do dialogue or vocals, because it's a great vocal mic as well. I'll get one one day, but I'm a music producer. I always, especially if you're on Twitch, like, oh yeah, you're really booster. noticing the presence yeah. boost from from that. Yeah, that's, that's going to make a huge difference by the time it's been re-encoded four times by Twitch. I don't know how, how you, you planned on uh, what your, your kind of structure is like for RPG Nomics. if it's different, if you have a lot of questions or if you prefer rambling or... Uh,
0: rambling is fine. I have a cultivated persona on Mage the Podcast that is a bit more inquisitive and no nonsense. RPGnomics does not have that restriction. I can be idiotic and adversarial. Okay. So I have a much wider emotional range. Your nom de web, is that Patrick McNamara?
1: Patrick McNamara um, of Dog Food Studios. Dog Food my, Studios. My, my company, yeah.
0: I can't do the A the same way you can. It's so much classier than my A. Oh, it's a. fine. McNamara. It's
1: McNamara. <laughs> the, <laughs> uh, the, the real one is like, as long as it's not McNamara. <laughs> that's that's the a front lot. to a
0: Justin loving God. That's somebody trolling yeah. you.
1: And that, I get that from all kinds of people. I get that from people who live in England. It's like, Ireland is 30 miles west of you. And you can't say a name that is shared by 30% of people in Ireland.
0: <laughs> like, after the potato famine, we were reduced to five names, and that was one yes. of them. There's not a lot. So um, I like the contrast, though, of you saying lavalier instead of lavalier, but yeah. then in the same sentence using the word mouth hole. So, <laughs> <laughs>
1: so on average... So, well, that's probably because I lived in Montreal for a while. And while I didn't pick up much French, I did pick up a certain degree of pretension. Okay.
0: Le, le um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Le might, I think I don't think that's right. I think it's actually just Lavalier. Yeah, it's Lavalier. But for, but somewhere I, ju- I just picked lavalier. Up and I can't I can't stop. It's terrible. It's like me saying instead of a retail when I'm playing made.
0: I started saying Renaissance at some point and I can't stop mm. myself.
1: Oh, it's very difficult. I feel. Are we getting some some clever lighting going on? Ooh! Yeah. Um, was- <laughs> for the for the podcast, uh, Terry just hit a button, and some some wonderful uh, some wonderful purple lighting appeared.
0: I would like to do something video esque at some point. You know the way some people are like, "Hey, if I'm going to work from home, I have to wear real pants; otherwise, I'm not mm-hmm. technically working." In my head, I am yeah. like that whenever I am doing something that vaguely involves video. Oh Um, yeah, absolutely. So I I was on some sort of stream uh, a week or two ago where they're like, do you want to talk about mage? And I'm like, do I? Put on your big boy pants. So I got to put on my mage like storyteller costume which is basically just a vest with a thing that said storyteller on it. And I had like (laughs) a nine point lighting system. And he's like, uh, we're not showing your video. And I'm like, oh, Aww. good. <laughs> and like, I took pictures and said it to everyone. I'm like, look at me. I'm on a Twitch stream. And everyone's like, you don't look pretty, Mr. Robinson. I'm like, thanks, Hank.
1: <laughs> so. But uh, I thought, well, I don't have to put on my ring light and stuff because uh, I'm not on camera. Terry will never shame me. I was doing <laughs> the opposite. I
0: was complimenting <laughs> with how warmly illuminated you are now.
1: Oh, that's nice. Yeah. I'm much more conscious now that I've started doing audio editing, giving someone a clean read. <laughs> it's great um, when
0: someone talks through a belch, Yes. and that's the side of quality. Like, very, right, it's good to be here today. <laughs> like, okay, that's not usable at all. Thank you.
1: See, I, do, I feel like I learn everything every time we talk. Um, but there, both is, times, uh, oh, both times. <laughs> two for two, fucker, two for two.